0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. That's very kind, but I have to tell you, you know, for years I preached at least two Sunday or two sermons a Sunday, and uh, for quite a few of those, I preach three, and I, I got to tell you, I'm a novice at it. Again, I, I only preach a couple times a year, and um, you know, so I kind of stammer around a little bit. Don't get it as smooth as I used to, but the one thing I've still got right, I kept him here till 20 after. <laughs> I got it. So you know, Jacob, I made up for you. Okay, alrighty. <laughs> So our, our sermon title today, this last one is Eyes on the Prize. And um, you and I all know that that means if you keep your eyes on the prize, it means you're keeping focus for an end that you want. You're keeping focus for a goal or something like that. How many of you have a bucket list? You have a bucket list of some kind. <clears throat> I do. There are things I, I want to do. Um, my husband used to kid me, and he, he'd say, honey, if the Lord lets you do everything you feel like you need to do, you're probably going to live to be 150 just to get them done. And some of you may be like that as well. We had the goal together. Our, our goal was, one of them on the bucket list was that we would go to Israel, to the Holy Land, and... Um, We were working on that, planning to do that, and then that darn guy, he went to the real Holy Land all by himself in 2019, and so we didn't get to go to Israel together. But I thought since he was in a better place than I would go until then, I should go ahead and go anyway. So my friend, who has been mine and Charlie's friend since college days, uh, Bev Neuenschwander, she went with me, and we had an incredible time there. When we uh, applied to go and, you know, we got our reservations and everything, we went with Good Shepherd Travel Services. Can't recommend them too highly. They're incredible. Um, We went with uh, them. They're nationals. They're Jordanians, uh, Palestinians, Israeli, Christian people. They're really wonderful. but we went with them and they sent us a letter and in this letter that they sent us they said this is great you know this is you're going to have a wonderful time but here's what we want to tell you it's not a breeze you don't just sign up and show up you need to prepare yourself to come, it's it's strenuous. I was just talking to the Davises, my friends back here, and they were telling me about going to some wonderful places in Europe, and they said, but it's exhausting, it really wears you out. This travel does, it really does. And when you're there, when you're there as a traveler, as a tourist trying to learn things, you do a lot of running around. And they told us in that letter that we needed to be able to walk three to four miles at a fairly brisk pace um, a day in order to be able to do this well. Now, if you would have taken it back a few years before that, that wouldn't have been a problem for me because I had a number of years where I walked eight miles every day and it felt wonderful. It was so good. But I had to have um, supposed to be corrective surgery on my ankle. It made it worse. Can't wear flat shoes. Um, It made it very difficult. So... Even walking a mile was hard for me, so I had to start a training program after I got this letter. We were leaving in January, and I got the letter around the 1st of November, so I started on, I started on a very um, strict and pretty productive uh, walking program but it was winter time so I walked in the house and so I would do laps around and worked up to being able to walk four miles a day I was walking four miles a day on a circular uh, route in my house through the rooms up the hallway Barkley was ready to sign me up for psychotherapy he he really thought I was crazy and he followed me for a while and then he would just crawl up in a chair and look at me and kind of do like this as I passed by like what is what is going on and here's what I have to tell you um, It was wise for us to have that training program. It was very wise. Israel itself was not bad, but we got this really wonderful deal. They signed us up when we signed up to go to Israel that the last five days of our trip, we would be in Greece. So that was great. We were going to get to go where Paul was, and we went to Greece. And when it was all much rougher terrain than it was in Israel— But one of the things that I never thought to put on my bucket list, because I thought I'd never see it, was to go to the Acropolis to see the Parthenon. Guess what, I did. Check it out, isn't that incredible? It's so so wild that I got to see that, but you have to climb, and you have to be in good shape. And I made up my mind I needed to have a close-up picture and be able to do that, and if I had not done the training program, I would have taken the picture from the ground with my little phone and been so disappointed because I never got up close. I never got to do that. I needed to have the training. And because I had the training, I did it ahead of time. Now that's what we're reading today um, from the writer of the book of Hebrews. He's talking about if you're going to have uh, a satisfying and successful experience in your life of faith, in your journey of faith, you're going to have to have a training program. You're going to have to train. It's the same thing in regards to a walk of faith. So the verse that we're looking at this, morning. The verse is very, very familiar, but I want you to listen to it or read it this morning as if you have never heard it, never seen it, never been taught about it before. See, here's where we are. We're, uh, we're supposedly, you know, we're a Christian nation, and we've all, you know, been around religious things, we've heard it, we've heard things over and over and over again, and what we do is we lay so much on it, it's kind of like a Big Mac, you take a simple hamburger, but then you load it up with so much stuff, you're not even sure it's a burger after a while, right? That's kind of the way we are with our faith. We have loaded it up with so many people's opinions and their lettuce and their special sauce and their all this kind of stuff that they put on there that we don't even really know. We think we do but we don't really know what the what the word says and what it w- what it was meant by God and by the original authors. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen to everything that I'm saying, every scripture that I share with with you this morning and listen as if you've never heard before. Strip it off of all the special sauces and all the filters and all the stuff that you've been given before and listen to God's word plainly. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, these are people who have done it before, people who have lived this walk of faith before, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Has anybody here ever run a marathon? Anybody? Okay, well, here's what, if you watch a marathon, you know that it's a real marathon and that people are running as real racers by the kind of clothes that they wear. <clears throat> Excuse me. If they're running in sweatpants and a hoodie, they're not a real runner. That's not the way they do it because a real runner is going to have the lightest weight clothing. They could actually in ancient Greece. They uh, wore almost nothing to run because they didn't want anything thing to hit the wind, anything to hold them back. So he's saying, strip down, get all the things that would hold you back from giving yourself fully to this race, get rid of those. And then he says, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Trips who up? Us, trips us up, yes. And, and he's talking about myself, yourself. Do you know how different that is than the way we typically do things? Because I don't focus, when I'm focusing on things, it's very rare for me to focus on my sin that trips me up. I focus on your sin that trips you up. I look at you. I see what's wrong with you. Can you believe he goes to that church? Can you believe that she trusts that person? Can you believe that this happened and that? we we All these other things. Can you believe he does that, she does that? We concentrate on other people's sins, not the sin that trusts. Uh, that that trips us up, right? Isn't that the way we do it? We're so much more familiar and so much more concerned with what other people are doing or not doing than we're concerned with what we're doing. And we're told very, very plainly here, especially the sin that so easily trips you up. This morning, I want you to really focus on what is tripping you up. What is messing you up? Don't think about anybody else's uh, veering off the trail only think about yours. That's where we're supposed to be. And then let us run with endurance. The race God has set before us. My son, Zachary's family, Zach and Amanda, they're a family of athletes and they're really good. Zach was good when he was younger and, and his kids are good. And the oldest one, Skylar, uh, she just graduated from eighth grade this week. And she's, she's a really unusual athlete. She's very, very good. And she works at it all the time. She has gotten the athlete of the year every year that she's been in school, and she got some special award uh, this last week uh, for her skill. And she plays she, uh, she plays a lot of sports, but especially uh, basketball and and uh, softball. And she's very, very good. Traveling teams, all those kinds of things. Her siblings, there's four kids all together. Her sib- siblings have watched that and they've participated. They've been a part of that. And so they have gone to countless games and they go to the practices that the parents have to go to and all those things. They're there at every single time. Two of the kids have decided to follow that. Her brother Maverick is also very, very good. He's very good. He can he can do all those things and he loves it and he loves the practicing in the with dad, just as Skylar did and the shooting hoops in the driveway and all the extra stuff that it takes him into being an athlete. That's really, really good. And then we have Hazel. She's the youngest one. She has been through three siblings ahead of her and she's not so sure she wants to do that. Would she love to walk away at the end of eighth grade with a beautiful trophy and all the applause of her friends? Yes, she would love to do that. But does she want to go to the practices, the games, the rehearsals, and play ball in the yard when it's more fun to do something else? No. She does not want to do that. Isn't that the way we are? Isn't that the way we are? That's the way we are. We see things that we think we want, but we don't want to put into it what it takes to get there. That's what the writer is telling us here, that if you get your eyes on the prize you're going to have to do something about it more than just keep your eyes there. You're going to actually have to take some action. Now, one of the problems we have when we think about the life of faith is we think the prize is heaven, right? Jesus died for us so we could go to heaven. Actually, that's not why he died for you. Heaven is a perk. He did not die for you to go to heaven. He died for you to know him. He died for you to become Like him he died for you to have a personal relationship and heaven is a perk if you if you know him you will go to heaven but that's not the reason it's not the goal the kingdom of God is the goal and we think the wrong thing and and we you know we look at things that are not supposed to be our goal in life and and we'll get all caught up there and we get derailed and we we run off the path and we fail to run it to live it out we don't run with endurance This is what I promise you. My son and I, Jacob, the pastor here, on vacation, we were uh, talking about um, people and churches and stuff we know. And it's like one church uh, said that they had over 1,200 converts last year, but they don't have 1,200 people in their church. Ouchie, right? Why is that? because we don't run with endurance I'm not accusing them of lying and saying there's not seven or twelve hundred people who pray to prayer but praying a prayer and running with endurance wow they're miles apart they're way way different Um, we do people think that that the life of faith is something completely different than it is it's not saying a prayer it's not getting baptized it's not becoming a church member it's not it's not any of that it's not any of that. It, living the life of faith has to do with who you are and how you live like Jesus, becoming a part of the kingdom of God, which is experience his, experiencing His transforming presence in your life. Everything about you changes. That's the goal. That's what we're to fix, this on, fix it on. And it doesn't happen just because, you know, you did something like that, it, it just doesn't. I've been pastor in this area for uh, more than 40 years now, and this is what I will tell you, and I'm not making fun of anyone, I'm not being snarky, I'm just telling you the truth. I could tell you people by name that got baptized in our church years ago, and I have seen them celebrate on Facebook at least four other churches that they've been to now and they found Jesus and they got baptized there too. You recognize that baptism is actually supposed to happen once, right? You're supposed to commit your life to knowledge of Jesus and then follow that for your lifetime. You're supposed to run with endurance. And then people will say, well, you know, the church wasn't feeding me and I needed a better church and I need to find a a better church. I'm sorry. Very rarely is the church our problem our problem is we don't run with endurance. We don't live the life that we're supposed to live. We just don't do it. Cornerstone's a great church, but there's lots of, lots of great churches around here. And yes, different strokes for different folks. Find a church where you're comfortable and then get the heck in a seat and stay there. Do it. You know, be part of it. Be part of this life of faith that changes the world and changes you. That's what God wants for you. Heaven is not the goal. The kingdom of God is the goal. And we get that all confused. You know, people believe that when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, he was talking about heaven. No, he wasn't. He was talking about the kingdom of God. He said, my my kingdom is, is a kingdom where you relate to me in your spirit and me in you. And you live for me. And my presence is with you. And it's transforming you. Living in his presence, living in the presence of God where everything changes, that is the goal for us. And it doesn't happen just because your belief or your information changes. We'll get all excited because someone's explaining something really good. It might be about prophecy or something like that. We get all excited because the the explanation is so good and I just got to get into this and if I can do this, it's all going to be great. Let me tell you what, belief in information changes nobody. Belief in information changes nobody. How many of you believe this? You believe that if you want to be wealthy, you have to earn more than you spend. How many of you know that and believe that? Most of you do. I don't know what the rest of you are believing. (laughs) Most of you believe that. But how many of us are wealthy? Not so many. And don't get mad at me, I'm preaching to me too, okay. (laughs) So how about this, how many of you know, you've got the information, you know and you believe that if, if you want to be in great shape, you need to be very careful about you, what you eat and you need to exercise. How many of you know and believe that? How many of you are in great shape? Okay, that's what I'm saying. And spiritually, it's the same thing. Knowing and believing doesn't change you. Knowing and believing, you actually have to live a life of action and faith. When I say that I follow someone, it's not checking a box on Facebook. That's worthless. That's following someone there that's just kind of checking in on what they're doing. You're not committed to them in any way. Following, the real following that Jesus calls us to is getting up and moving. It's doing something. It's doing something. If I tell Bob Squires, I want you to follow me, I don't expect him to stay there and send me a text. I need him to get up and walk and go with me. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. So so what we need to do, we need to really find out, we can't just take a verse as Pastor Jacob's been saying, we can't just take a verse and feel good about that verse. We have to understand what the verse before and the verse after and actually even a bigger context than that, um, we need to know that even though it's a start. The The big deal that we need to really think about is the context of the new covenant. Now, uh, Pastor Jacob's been teaching a lot about the new covenant, and it's been wonderful and excellent, and And it's what you need to think about for the rest of your life. If you want to have a successful faith journey, you need to, to realize that you live in the new covenant, and it has changed everything. John the Baptist was the first to really get it. He was the forerunner, kind of the warm-up act for Jesus Christ. You know, he was, his, he was the one who baptized Jesus, and he was the... Um, he was the, uh, the, the one who prophesied that the Messiah was coming. And he, this is what he said. And and you can read about it. I don't have time to read it to you, but you can read about it in Luke three, where he was talking and, and Jesus was already uh, prepared for ministry. Ready to go is about the time that he was to uh, go into the wilderness. And John the Baptist is preaching. And he says, God is doing a new thing here. He has sent the Messiah. He didn't even know that it was Jesus yet. He didn't know it was his cousin. He didn't know that, but he said, God is doing a new thing. He sent, he sent the Messiah and everything is changing. It's not the old covenant. In other words, it's not the old Testament. It's not the old deal that God made with people. It's a new deal. It's a new deal. Everything is different. A Messiah is coming and it's a new way of relating to God. And if you don't get with it, you're going to miss what God has for you. You're going to miss it. He said, you will lose out on the kingdom of God if you don't follow the new way, if you don't do that. Now, it said that it, his message was so radical that all of Judea and the surrounding area came out to hear him. In that period of time, there were so many people that lived in that area. If only 10% of the people came out to hear him, that would be more than 100,000 people. And why did they come to hear him? Not just because they didn't have TV. They came out to hear him because what he was saying was shocking, and it was promising, and they were empty. They knew that they were missing something. Even the religious people knew they were missing something. And that's why that, that they came. Uh, John talked to them very, very straight and they appreciated the straight talking. And he said to those of them who, uh, were, were Jews and they thought they were safe because they were children of Abraham. They were in the right family line. It's like they were born a Christian. They were born in church. That kind of thing is the way they they felt about life. Um, he said to them, don't think that you're safe because you're children of Abraham. Uh uh-uh. uh. No, this is a new covenant. This is a new way of doing things. You don't, nothing happens by birth. Nothing happens by rules. It doesn't happen that way. It happens by a relationship with the God of the universe, personal, that is coming to you. Don't say that you're just safe, it's a lousy way to live. The crowd was shaken from their apathy because they didn't believe, They, the religious people didn't believe that, that this, the Jews didn't believe that this wasn't going to work for them anymore. And the pagan people were completely shocked because they were like, wow, the Jews have been so sectarian and separate. And it's been only us that's going to make it. Um, it's only us that has the favor of God. And now he's saying that anyone who chooses to, to, follow the new way that is coming anyone who does that that they can be right with God they were all hungry for it and so when he preached this message you can read it in Luke 3 the crowd every piece of the crowd and it was a a wide crowd their response was the same they said what should we do now that we have the new information now that we know the right thing to believe what should we do What should we do? Uh, That's always the right response when God speaks to your heart is, what should I do now? What should I do now? That's the right response always. And so they were shaken and they said that to him. The crowd, the general crowd said to him, what should we do? John didn't say, which is what most of us have been taught. John didn't say, well, just say the sinner's prayer. He didn't say join the church. He didn't just say, just just be baptized. He didn't say, keep the rules. He didn't say this. He said, change the way you live. When you put your faith in God, change the way you live. Live out what you say you're advertising. Live out what you say you believe. Live it. Don't just sing it. Don't just say it. Live it. So when the crowd said to him, what should we do? He responded back to them. Hey, besides loving God, you need to give to the poor. You need to give to the poor. If you see someone hungry, give them food. And listen to this. He wasn't talking to people who had full closets like we have. He said, if you have two shirts and you see someone with no shirt, give them a shirt. Give them one of yours. Maybe he would say that about clean water today as well. The tax collectors, he calls them the corrupt tax collectors. They're there in that crowd too. And the tax collectors say to him, John, if that is really true, if this is the way that you live the life that God has for us, what should we do? And he says back to them, just quit stealing from people. Only charge the taxes that you should be charging. Help people. Don't cheat them. Make it easier for them. That's what he says to the tax collectors. And then there's Roman soldiers that are there and you know they're listening and they're, they come from a pagan a religion that has nothing like the Jews has, have, but, but they're cut to the core too. And they're saying, wow, are you serious? We can actually get in on the same relationship with God that the Jews said was just for them? How do we do that? What should we do? And he says to them, soldiers, don't extort from people. Don't make false accusations. Don't try to scare people. Don't do that. Try to help people. He was saying what Jesus had come to make very clear and to make very possible. He was saying this. Simply internalized and vertical religion is out. It's out. This is not the way of the new covenant. Jesus made it plain over and over and over again. And if you don't realize that, it's because you have been taught something false you've been taught something false. Jesus said that our relationship with him is not this personal, private, none of your business relationship with him, that's not it. He said that our relationship is not just between me and God, it's not this way. Jesus said over and over again, if my relationship with God does not go this way and change all my relationships this way, I don't have a relationship with God. That's what Jesus said. May not be what you've been taught, but that's what Jesus said. Simply internalize just what I believe, I can tell you what I believe, I can enunciate it clearly, I can have all my doctrine right, it doesn't mean squat to Jesus. What he did make blindingly clear, and I I will tell you this, I love the Bible. I love the whole Bible. I want you to understand that. But if you're going to concentrate on anything in here, concentrate on the first four books of of the New Testament. If you will read them over and over and over again, and even if you never read anything else, they will change your life. You know why? Because they, call, they contain the eyewitness accounts, the words of Jesus Christ, straight from the mouth of God. They, they contain that. If you read those without all the layers of filters in the context, without trying to figure out, so how does the Old Testament fit in with this? Let me tell you what. The Old Testament. Jesus did not need to fit in with the Old Testament. Jesus Is God Almighty we fit in with him he don't fit in with us you understand what I'm saying and that's all of it that's the whole truth he made it blindingly clear that the way to the kingdom of God is to love God first and then right after it to love everybody else who else who else you don't get a pass on anybody Love everybody else in the same way he has loved you. How has he loved you? With deep forgiveness, with outstanding patience, with amazing grace. That's how God has loved you. I mean, who else would love you that way in their right mind? Nobody. Nobody, but that's how he has loved us and that's what he's given us the power and the ability to do and the calling for other people. And so here's the thing. If you're gonna live the life of faith successfully in this world, focusing on heaven is not gonna get you there. Robbie has a shirt on this morning. I I wish everybody was close enough they could see it up and it says, make heaven crowded. Make heaven crowded. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's not the way most of us think. Most of us have not given one solitary thought to whether our neighbors are going to be in heaven or not. Don't think about it. We just get up and go to church and, you know, hope they mow their own side of the lawn. That's just kind of what we do. People that we disagree with, if you're a Democrat, you don't care much whether Republicans go to heaven. You're pretty sure they're not going to. Republicans are pretty sure Democrats are not going to go to heaven. I'm telling you what, I think I'm going to go live in a cave until the political campaigns are over. I'm just, I may kill somebody, I may, I may kill somebody because I don't wanna hear it. Not from Christian people. We're supposed to love everybody in the same way God has loved us with patience, with grace, with all of that. Focusing on heaven is not effective because all I try to do is get there. If I think about heaven, I need to be thinking about who needs to go there with me and how are they gonna get there. I need to be focusing on try to, try to, you know, trying to make heaven crowded. Jesus never told us, keep your eyes on heaven. He said, keep your eyes on me. We're never told that. And if we keep our eyes on him, it's going to change the way we relate to the world. He didn't simply ask us to believe in him. He called us to follow him. And he said, if we don't actually follow him, we are not his disciple. We may be a church member. We may be a baptized person. We may be a nice guy, but we're not his disciples. apostle or his disciple to follow means to move so how do we do that the verse after the verse begins to show us this is the verse after the verse this is uh, verse 2 of chapter 12 we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy and okay just let me say we got a good church here but we don't protect we, we don't perfect your faith we will try to help you grow in your faith, but we can't perfect your faith. That's, that, that is a job for God to do. So you keep your eye on Jesus. He's the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, hey, he was in a hard place here. He was loving, I mean, he was loving people like Jacob. Jeez, that's hard, right? Uh, even harder loving people like me and loving people like you. He was in a hard place and he was going to die for them and how did he do that how did he do it well because of the joy awaiting him and what was the joy the joy was knowing that he had done what God wanted him to do the joy was knowing that he loved his father with everything in him and that he loved every single person the way God the Father loved him do you know what God the Father tells us he tells us that he doesn't want anybody to perish No one. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And Jesus loved people just like that. And he knew that that he was going to stand before his father and he's going to say, did it just like you told me. That is how we live the successful life of faith. We don't care about what other people are doing. We don't care about, you know, the tough decisions we have to make. We don't care who criticizes us for doing something that we believe is loving and that God told us to do and they don't like it. We don't think about those things. We look for the joy set before us. I'm going to stand before Jesus and I'm going to be able to say, I did it just like you told me close as I could get it to you. I, that's what I did. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross disregarding his shame. He put up with the painfulness of that. And the painfulness was not the physical, you know, there were lots of people crucified and they don't get their story told for centuries and they don't make a way for us to live successfully. Lots of people were crucified. Jesus was crucified without fault and he bore the sins of the world. He was human humiliated he was put in a humiliating uh, position he was shamed he he was criticized by everybody and it didn't matter to him he absolutely disregarded the shame you and i if we're going to live a successful life of faith we got to disregard the criticism we got to quit looking about who looking at who likes us and who doesn't like us we just got to look at who we love and we love them all right We just, we love them all. Disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor before God's throne. That's the verse after the verse. That means we have to have a training program. We have to have something happening. We have to have decisions made in our life. This is how we're going to do it. This is what's going to happen. This is how we're going to to live our lives. That is how we successfully live the, the life of faith. Again, context is everything. Let's just say there's this guy and this guy he falls for this girl he loves her so much he loves her from a distance and and initially she doesn't you know pay much attention to him he asks her on a date finally she goes they've been dating for 6 months and it's been wonderful and he's progressively fallen in love 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 he just loves this girl and one day he he's just been afraid to proceed too far with it but one day he gets a letter from her and it's a, a, he opens the envelope and he reads it and there's this page there and it says dear john The last six months have been among the best of my life. They've been absolutely so wonderful. You're so kind. You buy me flowers. You know, you're a good kisser. You're all these wonderful things. It's just so great. I've just loved my time with you. It's been absolutely wonderful. I thank you so much for the experiences we've shared. He's reading this down. He comes to the bottom of that page, and he looks at it, and he's like, oh, man, this is wonderful. And he's so excited. She loves me. She loves me. She loves me. Everything is great. And so he runs out the door. He runs straight to the jewelry store. He buys her a ring and he goes to her house and he, he says, I was so excited to get your, your letter. And so it's only, it's only right that right now I should ask you, will you marry me? And he gives her this ring and she's shocked. She looks at him and she says, what are you talking about? How did you get that from my letter? How did, how did you, how, how, how did you get that? And he said, what do you mean? And she said, well, I did say that, you know, this has been wonderful and I've said all of that, but you missed a real important part. I did? Yes, did you read the second page? Well, no, I, I didn't even realize there was a second page. I got so excited about what I read. And she said, well, the second page said, but our lives are going on two different pathways. This is never going to work out. And so I can't date you anymore. We are done. Well, he's brokenhearted, and he feels like a fool, and he looks like a fool. Why? Because he took some really good words, but he thought that was the end of the story. He took them out of context. That is what we do with Scripture so much of the time. Now, in this particular space, the words before it are very important. The words before them in Hebrews eleven thirty-nine through forty. Uh, say this. He says, uh, you know, we just read that we're surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses. Who, who are they? Uh, the verses before uh, talk about all the wonderful people from Abraham and Jacob and Moses and all of these people, it tells about all these wonderful people in the Old Testament that great things, God did great things for them and through them. He talks about all of that and it says they're wonderful people of faith and they saw people raised from the dead and they saw these incredible things, wonderful things happen. And then uh, it comes down to uh, the very end of chapter 11 and it says this, but others were tortured refusing to turn from god in order to be set free they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips others were chained in prison some were uh, some died by stoning some were sawed in half Uh, you know who was one sawed in half isaiah the prophet isaiah whose book is in the bible he was sawed in half others were killed with the sword jeremiah the prophet Jeremiah, not the bullfrog, Jeremiah. Um, He was killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All of these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Their faith was in God. Their faith was in... uh, putting their faith in him and who he was, not in their circumstances and not in their results. Yet none of them received all that God had promised for, and here comes the new covenant, for God had something better in mind for us and they would not reach perfection without us. What is the something better? Something better is Jesus. The once and for all sacrifice, the, the God who comes in his own person to live with us, to live in us, to give us the Holy Spirit, that is, that is who it is. He had something better in mind for us. Missing this better is a huge cause for judgmentalism. It's a huge cause for division, for all kinds of denominations and fights between churches and Christian people, all of that, because we forget that everything that comes before the book of Matthew is the stuff that was not better don't throw stones at me it's the stuff that was not better jesus said that jesus said i fulfilled all of that i fulfilled all of that it's not that it wasn't good it's not that it wasn't good it was it was important for its time and it was used for its time but it's like you know on vacation coming back from vacation we're you know writing in In a row in the car and in the cars and we all had cell phones and we were having so much fun sending each other Notes back and forth about what we were seeing on the road and needing a potty break and all those kinds of things that you do We were having fun doing it and communicating with each other We used to not be able to do that. You remember those days Remember those days daggone we had phones that even couldn't take a picture You you couldn't even send an email on your phone. It was ridiculous. You know, we had the first cell phone we ever had. Charlie was a superintendent. It was a big, uh, like a a house-sized phone that you carried in a bag and you plugged into the cigarette lighter. It was huge. Couldn't do anything except talk on the phone sometimes. You could do that. It's so different today, but we wouldn't have what we have today if it wasn't for that old-fashioned cell phone. It was good for its time. It's just outdated and what we have now is better. And that's what Jesus was saying. It's what the Hebrew writer is saying. 13 times in the book of Hebrews, the Hebrews writer says, what we have today with Jesus is far better, far better. Paul calls it obsolete. The Old Testament is obsolete. It it's, doesn't mean we can't use it for good illustrations and everything, but all those laws, that's not the way to God. That's not the way to God. The way to God is Jesus. The way to God is Jesus. The way to God, the way to living a fulfilling life is not living by rules. It's by living by relationship with having God as a personal presence in our lives through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus, living in that way. That's, that's what it's for. Now it changes how you look at everything. It changes how you look at everything. For instance, you don't need it. If if you really love your wife, you know, I, I just loved my husband so much. I loved him so much. I still love him today. Uh, I still wear my rings. I always will. I made a whole bunch of promises when I married him, and there. Were, but we never framed those promises and put them on the the wall. I didn't see a good-looking man and run back to the my promises and read it. Let's say, let's see. Did I say Did I say anything about good-looking men in this? No, I didn't have to do that. Will I be kind to Charlie? No, I didn't have to do that. You know why? Because the love between us transformed the way I thought. And it still does. It still does. I will be Charlie Young's wife till the day I die and into eternity. That's who I am. I don't need rules to tell me how to live. When you know Jesus, do you get this? When you know Jesus and you have a real relationship with him, and you are living the life of faith, and you have the eyes on the prize, you have your eyes on following him, you don't need the 10 Commandments. Those 10 Commandments you put on the walls of schools, that kind of stuff, how many people do you know who were good boys and girls at school because the 10 Commandments were on the wall? (laughs) Never happens that way, it's heart transformation. But if you love Jesus, and you love other people the way that he told you to love them the way he loves you, You don't have to have anybody tell you don't lie to those people. You don't have to have anyone tell you don't cheat those people. Don't murder those people. You don't need the Ten Commandments to tell you not to commit adultery. If you love Jesus and you love people the way he loves you, you you got it here. It transforms you. And you know what else it transforms? It transforms the way that you will actively love other people. If you're not wanting to make heaven crowded with every single person you ever meet, you should probably wonder if you're actually going to heaven yourself. That's really true, that's really true. And you and I must realize, this is what we're told here, that the way we live and the way we love affects whether other people are gonna go there or not because they will not believe in the Jesus they cannot see if they cannot feel the love from the people they do say see who say that they love him. Listen, you and I, are our training program To live the life of faith successfully to keep our eyes on the prize we keep our eyes on Jesus and we live it the way he did let's read it again we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith so how do we how do we follow his example the whole rest of Hebrews talks about it the whole New Testament talks about it let me just tell you a couple of ways in suffering Jesus didn't focus on the pain he was going through he wasn't saying why me why me God why me he wasn't saying that it says think of all the hostility that he endured and he did it for a good purpose he did it for a good purpose if God is in it if you're loving like Jesus you're living like Jesus you're going to run into some suffering but imitate him. Imitate him. Keep your eye on the prize in discipline um, He tells us here in the very next verses in chapter 12 He says if God loves you if God's a good father to you He's going to discipline you sometimes how many of you know that is true God loves you, but he disciplines you sometimes I was just on vacation with five of my grandkids and they were Wonderful. They really were wonderful, but every one of them got disciplined sometime not punished They didn't get punished, but they got disciplined. No, no, you can't do that no, you can't talk to her like that. You, you can't do those things. Why? Because parents love them. God will discipline you and I because he loves us. It's a life of faith. So when we get disciplined, when we understand that God is correcting us, keep our eyes on Jesus and do it the way he did. In our relationships with others, the whole New Testament talks about that, That the way that the way that people will know that we are following Jesus is by the way we love other people. Jesus said that. He said, This is the way that people will know you are my disciples by the way that you love. And then the last thing I want to share with you is um, he tells us here in verse uh, 12 to take responsibility for your own encouragement and for your own example. We are such kings and queens at blaming other people when things don't go well, right? It's like, and I find myself doing it. I find myself doing it when something, when I have dropped a ball on something, I dropped a ball on something I was supposed to have done before I went on vacation. And I gotta tell you, I'm 70 years old and I've been a Christian since I was 16. And the first thing that came to my mind was how could I blame this on somebody else? How could it be their fault that I didn't get this job done before I left? Now, don't tell me I'm alone in that you know that you're the same thing. We, we run around looking for ways to, to blame things. But but we're supposed to take responsibility for our example, for our work, for our lives, for our own encouragement. And and we don't do it very well. When we're one of those people who get derailed and we, we're, we don't run the race with endurance and you know when we, we fall off the track and we quit going to church and we quit living right and we do all of that, we go to a new church Most all the time we go to a new church and oh man, they're preaching so good and they're doing it so good. This is the right church. If I would have been here all along, it had been so much better. That's what we say. No, that's actually not true. We'll say things like, they didn't feed me over there. Church is not to feed you. Church is not to feed you. Church is a place for you to come gather with people, worship God learn to love other people, but it's not to feed you if you consider yourself anything but a baby. If you're a baby, then somebody can spe- spoon feed you. On vacation, little Griff, he's three years old. He knew where to find the food and he sure would do it. He, man, I'm telling you, that kid ate so much food. He knew how to find the food and he would do it. But if on occasion he would ask me, Mamma, can you get me a Popsicle? I would get him a Popsicle. I would do that. If JL said to me, man, I'm hungry, I'm like, "You know where the fridge is, go over there. <laughs> Why, because he's an adult. He's an adult, it's not my responsibility to feed him. It is our responsibility to keep ourselves encouraged. That's what Jesus did. It says he encouraged himself in the Father again and again. And it's, for our example, we take responsibility for this. Listen to this verse as we get ready for communion. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. See, there's nothing wrong with having tired hands, and there's nothing wrong with your your knees being weak spiritually. You just need to recognize it. You just need to recognize it. So recognize where you're out of shape. I may not have, you know, preached in a real collected way and been a little bit crazy this morning or whatever, but this is what I know. God is faithful. If you were here and you were doing anything but sleeping, there's some place in this message that God spoke to you. There's some place that he showed you where you were out of shape. And so the first thing to do is recognize where you're out of shape. Take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees in the area where you're weak. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Get a training program going and stick with it. Get in a small group. Start reading your Bible in a new way. Read the Gospels over and over again. Do those things. Make a problem for yourself. Make a straight path for your feet and why do you do it so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong it's not just about you it's about other people other people are watching you they're watching you they may not go to church but they're watching who you claim to be they're watching that are you advertising what you say you believe if your life is not an advertisement for what you say Jesus is you're doing it wrong people watch you And they are weak and lame, and they will fall if you don't keep your eyes on the prize. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.